The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 6 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. And Elaine Duncan. Hello. Hello. Oh, Elaine, you're sounding lovely. Elaine, you're coming to us from Bible House. Yes, and I'm actually in a lovely little alcove in Bible House that's got all the right sort of padding for recording something like this. There you go. We just have to be aware that there might be some auditors living it up large in the in the background at some point. Yes, we might hear the odd voice in the background, but <laughs> hopefully it won't be too disturbing. That's good. I like that on your right-hand side that we're looking at you next to, it looks like, quotes from John's Gospel. Yes, we've got the I Am Sayings of Jesus um, etched into wooden panels in our in two of two alcoves and in our kind of communal kitchen area, and in each area a different I Am Saying of Jesus is highlighted in a different colour. It's a lovely part of the refurb. That's lovely, isn't it? Brilliant. Well, we're benefiting from that because we we can see it. Listeners can't see it, but we're benefiting from that. Now, this is the last in our six-part series on Elijah. And Elaine, thank you so much for joining us for this mini-season. Neil had commented previously when you weren't here that uh, he thought maybe you'd come in because your name began EL. Elijah, Elisha, Elaine. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Listen, I've really appreciated being um, part of this. Talking to both of you is very stimulating, but also... The preparation has really stretched me. So it's been a really good experience for me. That's good. Well, good. good. That's a bit of service. <laughs> now, Neil doesn't really enjoy the word season, Elaine. I don't know if you've picked that up from previous um, I have. seasons. Uh, but I think that's what we've had. We've had a kind of mini season uh, for these last six episodes on um, this particular bit of First and Second Kings. Uh, now, before we crack on, though, with this final episode, it is time for the intimations. So just to let you know (laughs) (laughs) that after Easter, we're going to be delving into the book of Acts. So in advance of that, during Holy Week, keep your ears peeled for five little episodes on the book of Luke, um, probably with Neil and myself focused, well, definitely with Neil and myself, probably just us is what I'm saying, uh, focusing on the Easter narrative, but also teeing us up for what will follow after Easter when we get into Acts. Uh, correspondence. We don't. I've not had any correspondence. I think we're no lagging bouts. a bit behind in our publication, to be honest. Yeah, you, so, you were all. I listened to the last podcast to drop this morning, and you were very pleased. We had a bout of correspondence. We had a bout. No bouts this week, sadly, no. this time. But I think that is because there was a slight delay in getting the last episode up. Um, just a technical delay with getting it ready to go. So um, keep your correspondence coming, nonetheless. So email for that, of course, is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org and obviously via the SBS socials. If you're on the SBS socials, by the way, I'm hoping people have noticed some changes afoot. I, Elaine, do you I want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I hope they've noticed that too. So we've got a new visual identity. Um, and if you go to our website, you'll see a whole different way of trying to tell the story of how we share the Bible uh, and encouraging people who partner with us in a variety of ways to also, in a sense, join that call to action to share the Bible. So we're, we're very excited about um, a, a new look that reflects kind of what we've always done, mm-hmm. um, but a slightly different way of, of telling telling our story. So, yeah, we're very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and most immediately obvious, I think, to podcast listeners is that the uh, the logo, so you will have noticed that, there'll be a slight change in colourway. So if you're scrolling down looking for the old orange logo, it's gone to a kind of white background with a, a lovely kind of yellowy, greeny, beautiful stuff on it top of It used to have Bible 2020 on it when I last looked about one week ago. Is that gone as well? On the logo? Yeah, yeah. Or, or at least on gone. the podcast. Thing. Oh, now you're making me feel a bit stressed. I'll need to go and look at that. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't a complaint. <laughs> Can't believe it! <laughs> there are some elements of that that it's quite difficult to change because it's set up yeah, with yeah. those words involved in it. Anyway, oof. anyway, today's discussion is not about logos. It is about the many miracles of Elisha. And we'll be discussing 2 Kings 4 through to 2 Kings 7. So if you've not had time, this is your reminder. If you've not time to read ahead, now would be a good time to pause the podcast and read Second Kings 4 through to 7. But a starter question before we get into the discussion. Uh, finishing our mini season, how readily, Neil and Elaine, are you to embrace and anticipate 
the supernatural intervention of God in the everyday. How readily do you embrace and anticipate the supernatural intervention of God in the everyday? Neil, you looked like you were going to say something. Yeah, so we were discussing this last night. We had a group of new members meeting and we were reading Mark's gospel. We had a great discussion about this and I could see that I was talking about, you know, do you get miracles now? And I've had times where people have been healed, although some of them have gone on to die afterwards. And But I was also saying there were times when I hadn't expected a healing and there was a peace with that. And I could see um, the lady who was there from Nigeria being slightly anxious that I was almost too keen to write off miracles because I think they had been quite a big part of her experience. So my short answer is I felt challenged by her to embrace them more often and to look for them and believe in them. So that's kind of my answer to your question. Okay, okay. Can I just give you a supplementary on that? Yeah. What What will that mean in the in everyday life for you? I think it is about listening to the inner voice of God speaking to us about whether there is a restlessness for change or a peace. So let, let I've, I've told this story before, but I'll, but it's really important story. When my flatmate in Belfast, um, he married his wife fairly young. And she had cancer and uh, she prayed a lot for healing. And there were long periods of time which were slightly, well, more than I was about to say slightly miraculous, miraculous where she was well for a long time. But she did come to the point when it was clear that things were terminal. And I think it was the day before she died, she was in the hospice and she was quite well known in the Christian community in Belfast. A stranger turned up and said... I'm here to pray for your wife. I believe that she's going to be healed. And Rob was furious mm-hmm. and he told the man to go away. And I was telling the story yesterday and thinking about it. What, why would he do that when on other occasions we should be open? And mm-hmm. I guess you're going to think about a, a thing that's going to happen in the Elisha story. And I think there were maybe two things. Firstly, this family had prayed many other times for healings And they had prayed with faith and those times of healing had happened. But this time they had a sense of peace that this was the time. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing. And the second thing was there was something about this man that was not prophetic. It felt like this was something delusional or something within him that wanted to be part of the drama rather than a genuine prophetic moment and so those were the two things I think that led Rob to say no I don't believe this is of God so there's something about discerning yeah discernment yeah. in that yeah mm. Mm. thank you that's that's helpful Elaine how about you yes I think I think I find myself asking what is our definition of miracle mm. and the supernatural because it, it seems to me that you know the the chapters and the the incidents that we're going to read um, in Second Kings are are very specific and 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 quite dramatic, but the reality is that God is actually at work all the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and I think for me my understanding has has grown to have that sense of expectation that. God will be at work. Mm. And and we almost, I mean, as Elisha will pray for his servant, you know, Lord, open his eyes. And I think sometimes I need to pray, Lord, open my eyes to see mm-hmm. um, and to expect. Uh, so work on my attitude in terms of, of expectation mm-hmm. for yeah, I don't know whether we sometimes we think of, of, of miracle as almost being the surprise exception. Mm-hmm. Mm. Whereas actually God is work is working in all our our lives all the time. Um and I, I know that I've probably said on numerous occasions, you know, that is nothing short of a miracle. And sometimes that's actually about people finding a way to relate to one another and heal a rift in a relationship 
or it's about um, maybe a committee or a board making a decision that you would not have predicted and something changes the mood and the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And maybe a courageous decision is made and you think, you know, that is definitely a miracle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I hope mm-hmm. I'm not downplaying what we're talking about, but it, it is for me that sense of do I have eyes to see God at work in the everyday? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? So so there's something around discernment, expectation, faith. And there's something that when Elaine was talking there, I was mm-hmm. thinking that the this I'm trying to phrase this, it's something like the more you see, the more you see. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's right. Which which I think maybe explains why, and we've talked about this before, explains why often in cultures where there's less material mm. benefit there seems to be more experience of the miraculous, but is that because there's more space to see the miraculous and more yeah. dependence, you know? I don't know. I also wonder about that with age. So I wonder if as you as you go on in the Christian life, do you... Do you I, I would like to hope that your faith would grow, but I sometimes worry that we become more familiar with what we know and our own making yeah, things happen. Yeah, more jaded. Yeah, more yeah. jaded, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's interesting it? that our colleagues in the Bible Society in Ukraine, you know, here we are over a year now of war, and they are able to, they, they keep saying to us, but we keep seeing miracles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that, that there are things happening that, are, that really are quite surprising. So, you know, bombs that fall in situations where nobody is killed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or missiles that that seem to get diverted mm-hmm. wow you know mm-hmm. and co- cause no harm yeah and Amazing. they are witnessing these things um in that sort of very challenging and demanding context amazing yeah yeah and those people i'm guessing are not denying that sometimes you know they're fully aware of the suffering they're yeah. not they're not I, I remember richard dawkins used to get very annoyed at people claiming miracles because they were ignoring the fact that Lots of bad things still happened. But I would imagine that your Ukrainian colleagues are fully aware of the horrendous things that are happening and yet still claim that the miraculous is at work. Yes, because they see that it could be so much worse. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, that's been a really uh, stimulating and I think probably quite helpful introduction to what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so last time, um, you'll recall, we talked about the end of Elijah's ministry and the start of Elisha's. And today, I suppose we get a better idea of what it looked like for Elisha to exercise his ministry with the double portion of Elijah's spirit that we, we talked about last time. So in these chapters, we find another impoverished widow, a Shunammite woman whose son is brought back from the dead, a pot of poison stew, a miraculous healing of a crowd. No, I meant feeding of a crowd. I've written healing of a crowd. Uh, a healing from leprosy, a floating axe head, yeah. a bunch of blinded Arameans and the freedom of a besieged city. So it's all going it's on. It's all there. It's all going on. <laughs> it Neil, is amazing. Yeah. What should, Neil, should we be alert to as we approach these verses? Well, first of all, the thing that you've said that Elisha has a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so there is a double number of miracles. Now, there's a, there was a bit of dispute about how to count those. But the rabbis eventually decided, I think, that right at the very end of Elisha's life, someone falls in his grave and gets resurrected. And that counts as the final one. So that's how they managed to get the maths to work. So it's double. I I think this is a blockbuster of a story. I, I, it was one of these passages. I was reading it, and some of the stories I'd, I'd forgotten. And I was going, "What happens next? What happens next?" It's just <laughs> it's just brilliant. And I mean, it's this has to be one of the. Is it is it okay to say entertaining? This is this is one of the most entertaining sections of the whole of the Old Testament. It it's just brilliant. It's a blockbuster section, and it for. It points towards the Gospels because not the Gospels will be the only other place that we really kind of see this. And, and and you can see how, for example, the feeding of the big crowd, how many of Jesus's miracles come from this time. So I think it's the double portion. The other thing I would notice is that particularly as the stories go along, they tend to get longer and more complicated. I don't know if when the two of you were reading them, you kept having to check back and go, oh, what's happening? Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's all sorts of things going on. But, oh, I love this. I love this section. 
Yeah, because I thought when it, when we th think about the Elisha asking for the double portion of yeah. Elijah's spirit, not only is the double the number of miracles, it's almost like double the challenge mm -hmm. that he faces. That's what came across to me. What led you to think that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, some of the things that he's asked to do are actually quite complex. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. You know, they're, they're often at quite a different level to Elijah. Mm -hmm. It's often a very pastoral engagement mm -hmm. that he yeah, has with yeah. people that is, is quite different to the way Elijah related yeah. to people and, mm -hmm. and what Elijah was asked to do. But th there is that real sense of challenge in everyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that might be helpful just to kind of work our way through, I suppose, see how we get on in the time that we have. We, we start off in Chapter 4 with another example of a widow basically facing destitution, don't we? So this woman who's, whose husband has died, creditors are coming for, for her, and she's about to sell her children into slavery. Uh -huh. It's horrific, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, it it you know, it it's a story that is still played out, isn't it today? Mm, yeah. Um, and, and we get this thing with the oil. We do, and the oil is repeated. Yeah. Yeah, but before we get onto the oil, I, I find myself reflecting yet again on the consequences of God's people, as the nation of Israel, moving away from worship of the living God. Mm-hmm. Because what is repeated again and again, Old Testament and New Testament, God's heart for widows and orphans. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what has led to mm -hmm. this poor woman being so fearful? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Because actually her community should be taking care of her. Yes. But, but when we move away from God's law and a relationship with the living God, there are consequences for individuals, for communities, and for nations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And she has protections under the law. I'm, I'm trying to think what specific ones are. I think she should get redeemed by a relative. I think. Um, but yeah, she has protections under the law, and those are not being used at this point. And mm -hmm. yeah, as you say, on a very practical level, when people abandon God's law, it's the most vulnerable who who bear the consequences. Yeah. And so we have this miracle with, with the oil. So he tells mm -hmm. her to go and find jars and the jars are f filled as far as there is jar. Great, isn't it? <laughs> as far as there are receptacles. It is great. It prompts a question in my mind about, about miracles and faith, though, isn't uh -huh. it? That she in faith goes to find as many receptacles as she can and that's the limit of the miracle. Yeah. Am I, really, am I making that too simplistic? Well, there's a, there's a miracle later on. It's actually outside these passages where um, I can't quite remember, um, Elisha's talking, I think, to a king, and he says, you're going to defeat the Arameans, stamp your bow on the floor. And he does it, but he only does it three times. And Elisha says, oh, if you'd done it more, you'd have got more. Um, you'd have destroyed them. That doesn't seem to happen here. There seems to be enough. It's like, we'll keep trying, we'll keep trying, we'll keep... And they say, go to the neighbours. There doesn't seem to be a sense that they're running out. It's just like, we literally cannot get any more vessels and it is enough to pay the debts and also for the them and the children to live on yeah so it's enough yeah yeah, yeah. i love the fact that the neighbors are involved yeah yeah there's <laughs> a real kind of community effort this yeah. although the neighbors then don't actually see what happens behind closed doors but they must have seen the result yes oh, yeah. although is there not a question going back to what you've already said about where were the neighbors when she had this need. Yeah, yes. yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Happy to give no, an I think I think that's right. But when they were asked for something very specific, uh -huh. like a couple of yes. spare jars, they were yeah. happy to be involved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They'd have had a good story afterwards, wouldn't they? I know, exactly, exactly. I um, wonder how many of them had to buy their oil thinking, well, that's my jar. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm really glad it's now full of oil. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Is there significance in this being about oil? Is it? Is there a spiritual significance in that? Um, there's. It's always there if you want it, isn't it? Uh -huh. but, I mean, I don't think it's against it. Jesus talks about oil lots of times. I suppose it's a bit like um, manna from heaven. It's about provision oil. I can't help. Think of that song, give me oil in my lamp. I know, and, I know. I mean, I know that's in a jar, but. 
Give me all of my jar. <laughs> it's about abundance, isn't it? It's yeah. what Walter Brueggemann yeah. calls Sabbath economics. Yeah. Always having enough. Yes, but I'm thinking about the parable of the, the foolish virgins. Yeah. And, you know, often that's talked about in terms of how we... It's about the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The oil Is in it? That story. Is that what people say about it? Well, I've, yeah, that's why I've read I mean, that's pretty about reason- that. I mean, it's definitely a parable when Jesus tells it, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, there is a significance. There's also, I guess there's also the matter-of-factness of oil. I mean... I, I think we can fairly predictably guarantee that someone will have preached on this with a spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Good. So that's uh, miracle number one. We then move to the Shunammite. It's a hard I, word to say. Well, I just... <laughs> yes, thanks. I find it also quite interesting that she just keeps being called the Shunammite. She's not, yes. she's not given a name. <laughs> she's a wealthy woman. Yes. And she wants a son. I, I, what I find really interesting about this... Well, is, does she? Oh, yes. Because mm, she doesn't ask. That's what That's she says, true. isn't it? She I never doesn't asked ask. And she's, she's kind of a wee bit cautious about mm-hmm. Elisha promising that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think her reaction probably indicates that there perhaps was that desire, but she doesn't want to be disappointed. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, which, which is reminiscent of... People like Hannah, isn't it? And um, Sarah, I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, mm-hmm. when Sarah laughs, when she's uh-huh. told she's going to have uh-huh. a child. Yeah, that's right. So it's verse 16, isn't it? She says, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not deceive your servant. Yeah. She must know what he's like. He, She knows all the miracles that she's done. And yet still it's like, don't get my hopes up here. Uh-huh. That, it's uh-huh. almost like this is too much to promise. Uh-huh. Is it a wee bit like Zechariah? When he gets told he's going to have a son and he doesn't quite believe it, maybe, maybe, yeah, could be. And it and it is interesting, isn't it? Because of course later on, when she then goes to him, she says, "Doesn't she?" I'm trying to find the verse for that. And he he she says that she never asked, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now he's died. Yeah. Verse yeah. twenty-eight. Did I ask you for a son, my lord? Didn't I tell you? Don't yeah. raise my hopes. Isn't that the way that God often does things? God makes promises to us brings us into the promise and then jeopardizes the promise. So you have to then go through the whole faith thing all over again. I'm, I mean, the classic example is Isaac comes and then God says to Abraham, now I want you to go and sacrifice yeah. Isaac. God seems to have this habit of always wanting life to be on the edge, even when he's promised you stuff. Never that sense of vulnerability goes away. It's almost as if God's promises always hang on a thread. But they are always fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder if often in when we're in those kind of situations, that what God is doing is actually drawing us closer in with Him, mm. in mm-hmm. our dependence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So things are not kind of automatic, yeah. but they actually rely on the re- on the relationship and. And our response to God's invitation into the relationship. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. So, uh, yes. And there's a sort of stretching of faith. It's a bit like it's a bit like the conversation we've already had about the expectation of supernatural, isn't it? That mm-hmm. when when you you have an experience of God's provision, there's a stretching again and a stretching again yeah. and a stretching again, isn't there? It often happens. So it's it's quite this is quite a long encounter. Yeah, it's that we're much, reading it's about much here. More fleshed out, literally fleshed out when he lies on top of the sun. What did you think of that bit? With the, the eye, was it eye to eye, hand upon hand? It's very, very visceral. Well, we don't know what's in Elijah's head, but it, but it feels as though he wants to transfer life, almost like limb for limb, mm-hmm. into the boy. Yeah. I'm just looking back at, to, at Elijah, to 1 Kings 17. Yeah, yeah. Because it does. It says that he stretched himself out. Yes, yeah, but it's not nearly out. as detailed. Exactly, exactly. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. It's it, everything. It, it's a point you made earlier, Lynn. Everything's bigger with Elisha. I, I, by the way, I've thought a lot about that Elisha passage, Elijah passage, the one where he heals the boy. It's a, it's a brilliant example of our action and God's action together. You, you don't get. Well, we're about to discuss this. There is one distant miracle that happens here. We're going to come to it later. But most of the time, it requires the man of God to, it is a man of God here, to show up, to be present, to do something. It's it. God is not going to just make it happen. Um, there needs to be a human component to all of this. 
One of the things I didn't know until preparing for this is that Schumann, Schunan, however you pronounce it, in the Old Testament, by the time we get to Jesus's time, is called Nain. Uh-huh. And so the widow of Nain oh. Oh, is, you know, another incident where Jesus is, in a sense, re- repeating or doing another version of this miracle. And remember, the, the widow of Nain bring is, is actually on her way to bury her son. And Jesus lays his hand yes. mm-hmm. on the funeral procession. On the coffin, or however it was, the the funeral, I can't remember what they're called. Um, and so there's still that very the, the the it's either the buyer or the briar, but the it's that human touch again that that Jesus demonstrates. I got quite excited about that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, good, like, good preparation, Elaine. <laughs> like that. I always like when somebody comes up with a, a geography or something that's an exegetical gem. Love it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that. that's really and, gave, and it has that line he gave him to his mother, which happens here as well, mm-hmm. and in the Elijah story, and it happens in an upper room. You, you, t- yes. I'm not going to say I told you so, but you two were skeptical <laughs> when I talked about the importance of upper rooms. <laughs> but and, and also come back to, to what you said at the beginning about the, the you know a lot of this a lot more of this happens in community. It kind of has that mm. slight feel of of Elijah at the widow's house, but this feels a much more expansive version of that, isn't it? They've set aside a room for him, and whenever he comes past, that's mm. where he's going to you know he's got this kind of spare room Airbnb situation yeah. that he can he can stop in at. You know, so it feels more community, doesn't it? Well, Elisha just comes across as much more accessible. Uh huh. And, and around and about in the community mm-hmm. compared to Elijah, who seemed to keep himself a little bit to himself. And mm-hmm. again, it's just something of the different characters. Where this is taking me is a conversation I read on the internet at the weekend. Now, I come to this with two, well, at least one very close family member who's autistic. And the penny dropping for me on autism was when somebody said it is primarily about the social difficulty of making friendships. Up until that point, I'd always thought that autism was about a Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, that kind of um, savant thing. And and that was a penny drop moment for me. And that led to a whole journey of diagnosis and discovery um, about what autism is. And it's just taken me back to Elijah and wondering if there are autistic aspects to Elijah's character, which don't appear in Elijah, who 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 doesn't have ASD. So mm-hmm. that was just a question that I'm living with. But but why I think it's an important question is because for people who are who have autism, I think it's really important that they find friends in the Bible. And if Elijah might be one of those friends, then great, absolutely terrific. Mm, that's very interesting. I'm not, my my head's now spinning off onto all the different neurodivergent characters you would encounter in scripture because I think there probably are quite a lot can we go back to the Shunammite woman because Mm -hmm. I find it intriguing that she didn't tell her husband what she was doing Mm. and so she didn't draw him into her plan and then she she's she sticks like glue to Elisha she will not leave him. And it's almost as if she knows that any change in her son's circumstances are going to require this man of God to be the one who interacts with him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a level of faith in her, mm-hmm. not just in Elisha. Yes, it is. Yeah. It, 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 is it is interesting how you read it, though, isn't it? Because I, I was reading it thinking she's also quite dependent on Elisha in a in a very focused way so I find it interesting that when when the question is asked um you know Gehazi goes out to meet her doesn't he Mm. and asks what's going on and you know know, it's almost you know that the the kind of situation where the person wants to speak to the pastor they don't want to speak to the other person they want to speak they want to go to the person in charge which it's an interesting yeah just maybe an insight into her character I don't know I noticed it, but I didn't quite know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I think that's it, isn't it? You could you could look at that in different ways. It could be that she's you know she's got the right idea. She's going to the she's going to the, the source, mm-hmm. and given that you know he's been the one who has prophesied the birth of the son, you can you can see why that would be. But but you could also read that as a sort of maybe an unhealthy dependence, or she's holding him responsible. Well, yes, yes. Stand aside, Gehazi. It's not you I've got an issue with here. Uh-huh. Yes, you, know. you got us into uh-huh. this situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now yeah. what are you going to do about it? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And this is going to happen again, isn't it? Because people are going to start holding Elisha responsible for things that he's got nothing to do with. Um, I, I like the fact, this takes us back to the story I, I told earlier about the man who appeared in the hospice the day before mm-hmm. my friend's wife died. And the... There was no pre-relationship with that man. There, there was no mm-hmm. history of having seen how God had worked through him. Whereas, and in fact, I don't think they'd even heard of him. Whereas with Elisha, there's this long history of the miraculous. That, that, or it, it's, it's, it goes back to something you said a moment ago, Elaine. Maybe miraculous in this particular instance isn't particularly helpful because it draws attention away from him. It's just he has the sense of God with him. It's, it's yeah. a much much bigger thing and that's what um gives her the confidence that he can resurrect her son and he has a long-standing relationship with that family Mm. yeah he does although i also have a question about why don't we hear anything about the shunammite man and then i question my own questioning and get into a bit of a spiral because i think how many times do we hear about men and we don't hear about the women (laughs) Am I just conditioned to expect? No, I think you're on to something. I'm, I'm always a bit to, to yeah, I'm a bit <laughs> wary to talk about it too much. But I think the thing you're on to is a thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think it might be. Okay, let's move on. Any correspondence on that? Going, dancing People are like, no, what the heck are you talking about? Um, so uh, let's move on. We're back in the company of the prophets. Yeah. They're, they appear again. So the company of prophets, they're all meeting up. And there's a famine in the region. He's in Gilgal. And uh, they, they cook this stew. Somebody finds some gourds. It reminded me of the um, pumpkin that was growing in my garden that the workman thought was a melon. Maybe I've not told this in this podcast, which gives I sound like I'm just waffling on a minute. Yeah, no, I it's think hard you have. for you to keep... You have. Yeah. I've heard that story. <laughs> it's hard for you to keep track of all your podcasts. It's and all my stories. Um, yes, yeah, so they, they, you get this gourds, they, these gourds, they put them into the stew and the stew is poisoned. And Elisha, with a little dose of flour. Yeah. Seems and to it's put all it right. Fine. It's like when you thicken your gravy. Yeah, I I, uh, I take my hat off to the first person to sip. Well done, them. Do you think mm-hmm. this is a reassurance for all of us around the mistakes that we make? Hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing in the text that suggests that this wasn't malicious. This this was some guy doing his best to feed the troops. <laughs> and he makes a mistake ab- about which fruit to put in. And he, he chooses one that he thinks is healthy, but actually it's not. And I, I just found myself wondering, how many times do we mm. do things out of the best of intentions, but they're not always the best things or the right things? We make mistakes, and so or, or I was just bad. Yeah, yeah. And even in the company of the prophets, you might not see it coming. Yeah, and it, I'm. Um, there's a thing that's happened uh, with with us where one of our workers in the church um, had seen a good deal for a thing. I'm being deliberately vague here because people here will be able to work out who it is. Um, but uh, they had seen a, a good deal on the internet for a thing which we had needed for our church. And they went and bought it. It cost a lot of money. And within the first time of using it, the whole thing blew up. And we realized that we'd been had, that probably or possibly something had happened. And, oh, he felt terrible. He felt absolutely awful. And it's exactly what you're saying, Elaine. It's, It's, you know, it was done with the, it was just one of those things. But he felt so bad. And it's part of prophetic life together gonna have a good story to tell i mean it just reminds me of a church i was previously part of where there was a very new plasma screen or some sort of screen installed and somebody decided it was a good idea to play cricket (laughs) 
oh. in the Oops. auditorium. And the person was quite senior to the organisation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We move on. So yes, justification for that, but we we would just be worth putting in a little health warning that if you are cooking at some sort of event, please do make sure you've got your food hygiene certificate and don't assume that flour can put right (laughs) poisoning. Can you you pull this story as (laughs) mitigation? Exactly. If you yeah get into trouble. Speaking of food, though, as we move on, Mm -hmm. so this is the end of chapter four. We're now in this feeding of a hundred. I mean, I don't want to do down the story, but when you've read the New Testament, it feels quite paltry. <laughs> is this all? Really? Only a hundred? Yeah. Although it also makes you realise just how amazing Jesus was. Well, indeed. I know. It makes you realise how 5,000 plus is Yes, 5,000 plus women yeah. and children. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. extraordinary. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's so it's, a, it's a, a, a bread miracle. And as you say, there's a foreshadowing there, isn't there, that goes on? Yeah, just like the, the woman at Nain. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the many stories which points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in verse forty three, I noticed the fact that there were leftovers, which again is a feature of the the, the five thousand mm. and the four thousand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've got anything else to say on that. Really, we like we like the idea. Well, it's a little bit like the first miracle, where there was there seemed to be scarcity, and there, then there was an abundance. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of idea here, isn't it? That there seemed to be scarcity and then there's abundance. And we're all different about our attitude to things like scarcity, generosity, expectation of of, of God. And I, I'm deliberately not focusing in on money and finance because I think it's so much broader than that. But there is something in these stories about, it goes back to where we started, about expectation. Um, and do do we expect God to bring the multiplication and bring the fruit mm-hmm. a hundredfold? And, and, and do we pray for that? And, yeah. and I'm, I'm not even, you know, on the edge of a of a kind of prosperity gospel because because this is about god's care and we bring what we have and he multiplies it uh, yes yes and have an expectation mm-hmm. that he can do so much more with that yeah mm. yeah so that's chapter four we've got another four to go oh. <laughs> Talk no, we move into chapter five and we and we, we look at the story. So this is a much, much bigger account, isn't it? The story of Naaman. Always, I always love the story because when I, I'll just, there's a little anecdote for you here. When I was a child, I had a ladybird book of children of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I have some heroes that really stem right back to the, I can still picture the pictures. And one of them was the Shunammite. There was the, the, the servant of Naaman. Mm. That story. And I always thought it was a great story. And actually it was about a girl, which is a lovely thing. The, the servant of, oh, the servant of Naaman. Yes, yes. sorry, not the servant of Elisha, because he's more problematic. Oh, he is problematic. Yes, we'll come back to that shortly, I think. He's yeah. a bit of a rascal. He is, he is a rascal. Yes, yeah. yes. And he's, you know, he is very much named, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not just yeah. the servant. He's not just, you know, he's very much Gehazi from the from the outset. We can follow his story. So Naaman, he's this commander of the army. Aram would be Syria, is that right? Yeah. Syria, yeah. Yep. Um, so he's not, he's not Jewish. Yep, yep. And this girl who is from Israel, he's a Jewish servant girl, or his wife is yep. a Jewish servant girl, um, who has utter faith that the man of God will will mm-hmm. heal him of his leprosy. What do we make of Naaman? There's a brilliant sermon by Tim Keller on um, the the naming of Leah and Rebecca's children in. Genesis, I can't remember the chapter. And there's an innocent point where Leah go names a son, it's Judah, and she says something, so the Lord has heard me. And then Tim Keller just simply goes, and that's the gospel. And when I read this story here, I just go, and that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because it's all about gift. It's all about the fact that Naaman wants to have some very complicated way of healing his leprosy. And yet it's the gift. 
it's learning that it happens. And this is in, this is the least interventionist of all the miracles, I think, in Elisha, it, 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 or the least human interventionist. There are a number of other aspects where the leprosy gets transferred, um, which is troubling, although there's that transfer of the disease, which Jesus has, he bore our diseases. And also the 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 dimension that Jesus draws out of this, which is the gospel, is the international dimension. He says in Luke chapter four, he says there were lots of lepers in Israel, but it mm -hmm. was the one in Syria mm -hmm. who God chose to heal. And this is a provocative and disturbing portrait of how God moves outside our tribe. And once again, I just want to go, and that's the gospel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little detail that is very minor compared to what has just been said <laughs> is <laughs> I really like the fact that Naaman, as the commander of the army, has people around him who can talk sense to him. You know, because sometimes people get to that level of seniority and authority and people are no longer able to talk sense to them. They won't listen. So, so Naaman gets a... a a point from me for that, that he will listen to others. And there are other people courageous enough to challenge him and say, come on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he obviously, and not only that, but he obviously has created the environment where they, they yeah. feel they can do that. Yeah. So it's not just that he listens, but it's also that it sounds like he's maybe in the habit of listening. Yeah. I mean, even for that girl, there's a kind of, there's a, a level of desperation, isn't she? If only my Lord could go to the prophet in Samaria. She desperately wants, she's a slave girl in a household that, you know, she might, sometimes she might hate this guy, but no, she's desperate for him to be better. Yeah, she, wants to, like, she wants to bless him. Yeah, yeah. And and that does speak also, doesn't it, to, you know, wherever God puts you in your work situation or in your your context that the, you may feel powerless, but actually there may be opportunity there. Yeah. To bring God to that place. And to bring it's blessing not like to that he, place. He doesn't have moments of pomposity, does he? I mean he it's not like he's always good. I mean he has these flashes of, oh I'm so angry. I should have done that. But there's something about his ability to calm down and then listen to the good advice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have Gehazi. Oh, that's not a great moment. No, it's not. And the thing is, he's been, he's been so faithful. Yeah. Up until this point, you know, he's he's there alongside Elisha. Elisha obviously trusts him. You know, so in the, mm. with the boy that has died, he sends Gehazi ahead to to see yeah. if, yeah, you know, that helps the situation. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then all of a sudden, Gehazi is, is tempted away. And it, it, and what, I wonder what that is, though. Is that Because I'm, I'm looking at verse 20. So Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean. It's interesting, mm. isn't it? By not accepting from him what he had brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So maybe, Elaine, it's what you were talking about in terms of um, our, our attitude towards trust and provision. Maybe it's a legitimate, well, hang on a minute. I'm going to stick up for Elisha here, Elisha here. Maybe is, is there a little bit of racism in here? Yeah, that's where I thought you were going. Mm. That Aramean. Uh -huh. Yep. Yep. And, and perhaps that man of power who can jolly well afford to pay for it. I mean, it's challenging, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It it's is. challenging in the way that I, I keep coming back to the story, but you know the the anointing of the feet when Judas says, "Oh, the money that should have been sold, the money given to the poor." I feel I always feel so challenged by that. Yeah. Because that's so often, you know, we we justify responses and behaviours, but actually, it might not be a godly response. Yeah, I think there's a there's something of a challenge in this for all of us, isn't there? About about faithfulness, and and that you know, sticking close to Jesus through the whole of our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember a Christian leader who knew that he was dying and his request for prayer was that he would remain faithful to the mm. Lord to the end. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, that's such a brave thing to ask, but it's also very insightful about human nature. Yes. 
that for any yeah. one of us, something could take us off beat. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. Yes. And you have to hold that intention, don't you, with the, the trust in what God has done. So what, Neil, what you talked about when you talked about this is the this is the gospel. It's it's not earned. It's not it's not about keeping an eye out at all times. But at the same time, it is about keeping an eye out at all times. Yeah, it's that. It's, that's uh-huh. So so right, Fiona, because it's alongside that we want to be faithful to the Lord, but but actually that's only possible because He holds on to us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, how do yeah. you weigh up those both those things? It's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, Sorry, no. No, just and just say there is a little bit of hope for Gehazi. He it's past the passages that we've got, but he reappears as an advisor to the king. I think in chapter eight. So, you know, maybe he learns. What an idiot, though, doing it. I mean, doesn't he know Elijah? Well, I think this is the first time that Elijah has this kind of supernatural knowledge. But you know, of all the people to try and cheat. You know, Elisha. But do you think he is trying to cheat Elisha? Because I don't think it sounds as though he's trying to profit for him himself. He just wants the money. I think he's thinking, I'm going to just claim what Elisha's due. Well, no, he says, where have you been, Gehazi? And your servant has not gone anywhere at all. Okay, yes, yes, uh uh-huh. Yeah, so he does know. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I know. What an idiot. You're right. Anything else we want to say? I mean, it is a beautiful, it's a beautiful chapter, isn't it? Chapter five. And it, again, has these um, touch points into the gospel stories, doesn't it? Think about the uh, Roman centurion who Mm -hmm. sends a servant to Jesus. There's little moments of all of that. And that that little moment where he says, uh, I'm going to give up idols from now on, but would you just bear in mind that occasionally I'm going to have to go into this temple? And Elijah says, that's fine, go in peace. That moment of just mm-hmm. so many lovely details. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And then we shift gear from that into a floating axe head. <laughs> so the bit that <laughs> makes you laugh at this is there is nothing worse than breaking borrowed machinery. Somebody else's tools. I was thinking oh, that. Oh. oh no, I borrowed that strimmer. No, it's been worse it. if it's it's been better if I had it was my own. I know, because <laughs> to me it's just another lovely example of the commitment to life in community. You know, because the key thing seems to be that this has been borrowed. I know. If, if it was his own axe head, he'd be, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is, it's the moment, isn't it? Oh, no, that was borrowed. <laughs> Not even mine. Yeah. I like to imagine that he was very proud of, you know, bringing it to the company of, I've got an axe head. <laughs> oh, no. Dropped it. And, and it's, 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 is it the most pedestrian of all the miracles here? Possibly, possibly. You know, but the I like floating it. axe head. I like but it's that. brilliant. I love the fact that um, I one of the biggest miracles. This sounds so pathetic. That ever happened to me was um, I had a I had a luminous ball that um, that I used to throw. I know you look at your your Fiona Stewart's glasses have just come down, and I kind of <laughs> really. No, I'm just <laughs> focusing. I'm listening. And I. It was it was almost a test to God. I had a luminous ball that I used to love and throw to uh, the dog when we lived in Canvas Lang. And I just loved the, particularly in the dark, throwing it, this this bright light would go through. And um, I, one day I threw it into Gorse and Snowy is normally pretty good at finding these things, but he didn't manage to find it. So I went back for night after night and I, I do know this is so bad. I said, God, would you please return the, the luminous ball? This is a test of faith. And it never, never returned until, I mean, weeks later, there was a windy storm and I don't quite know what happened, but the luminous ball reappeared at our door. Now, uh, yeah, yeah. And it later on turned out the dog walker had been out, Craig, and um, Snowy had found it, but it was, a, I think it was a different bit of land. But anyway, the point being, I prayed and prayed and prayed for the luminous ball, and it did return. And there was something within me that felt I needed to keep praying. And I always thought, goodness, God, if you can return a luminous ball, then there's pretty much everything's in play here. I think I think that's quite an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think it sometimes is these 
apparently small, apparently insignificant miracles that actually build our faith, even more than the dramatic things. It's almost as though with the dramatic things we go, you know, we really go hard after praying for something and then it's amazing and we're grateful. But there is something in the small insignificant that that speaks of God's tenderness, maybe. Yeah, it's like the sparrow thing, isn't it? Uh His eyes on the sparrow or the Uh time that Jesus says, go and pay the temple tax, you'll find a fish with a coin in his mouth. Yes, yes. Uh And I think that's where it is really important to, first of all, notice what we're praying for. Because sometimes I think our prayers are a little bit, it's not that they're unconscious, but we're praying them on the hoof. It's not necessarily kind of quiet, dedicated prayer time. But then sometimes we fail to notice that there's been an answer. Uh, And so I think for, for that building of faith, it's important that we recognize the answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. So it's been, again, in the company of prophets, it seems to be these sort of slightly more domestic things. So the stew and the axe head, etc. And so then we get to the incident with the Arameans. So the blinded mm. Arameans. What yeah. Of that? I, I just love about this story. So it's a story about how the king of Aram, um, Elisha seems to have eavesdropping intelligence. He knows where he's going to attack. King of Aram susses that something's up. He then says, right, well, we need to take out Elisha, which I thought was a pretty foolish move, but I guess he thinks the enemy have got this shaman who can work out where I'm going. So they go and get Elisha. He blinds the whole army, leads them blinded into the middle of Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel. And then at that point, the whole army could be slaughtered. He unblinds them. But he says, no, don't slaughter them. Give them a great feast. I just think it's a brilliant example of peacemaking, this non-violent peacemaking. And we're told at the end of it that no longer did the Arameans come raiding into the land of Israel. It is it, international diplomacy at its best. Yeah, yeah. It is. Well, and it, and it contrasts for me with the First Kings... Seven, uh, what was it, 18? When the, with, you know, Elijah's response, and I know it's to the prophets of Baal rather than to mm. the soldiers, but his response is of, it's vengeance and it's yeah. destructive, whereas this feels very constructive, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hospitable. Yeah, and it, there's a kind of honour thing. It's like you didn't capture them with the sword, so we're not going to kill them with the sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in the midst of that, there is this moment, isn't there, at, at verse 17, or, or verse 16, rather, where Elisha, Praise that the eyes of the servant will be opened mm. to see the, the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. It's amazing, isn't it? For there are more with us than are with them. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. Aren't these great chapters? <laughs> aren't I mean, they so good? I, to be honest, I don't know why you're trying to prove it. I mean, nobody was, nobody was denying. Uh, uh, Fiona? Back in time here. Come on. Oh, okay. Well, no, I was just, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to plunge into. Deeply. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair play. You're right. Great chapters. Okay. <laughs> I realise this has become Neil. You're right. I'd... Funny that. <laughs> I know. I need to back down. Good. All right. So we're moving on. And there's this famine in Samaria. Samaria's besieged. And then there's this curious encounter, isn't there, with the uh, the men with leprosy who are at the, the gate at that point. Oh, no, wait. Sorry. Am I skipping on? Yeah, that's yeah, later that's on. Fine. No, that's later on, isn't it? Yes. But it's part of the same story. It is part of the same story. And it's quite a long account of the story. It takes us into chapter seven. Yes, because actually the the peace with Aram doesn't last. So this Mm. is obviously sometime later Mm -hmm. with a new king. And again, it's that sense of, you know, sometimes history doesn't pass on. Uh Um, Yes. And so so now there's kind of war again. Yeah. And they're going for Elisha again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the head of Elisha remains should not remain on his shoulders today. Yeah, because the king the king somehow blames this is the king of Israel blames mm-hmm. Elisha for not having protected them. Mm-hmm. He's almost looking for scapegoats here. I feel poor Elisha has to kind of I know bear a lot of responsibility for everybody, doesn't he? <laughs> he's like, what did I do he's wrong? Sorting out the company of prophets. He's performing miracles left, right, and centre. He's accountable to political heads of government. It's a tough gig. 
Double push another spirit. Double, double challenge. Double challenge. Exactly. Lane, in, challenge. in your position of leadership and Fiona, in your positions of leadership, do you not sometimes think that people blame you for things which have nothing to do with you? I mean, I often blame myself for things that have nothing to do with me. I think. <laughs> so I think sometimes... And I think sometimes you've just got to take that on the chin. Oh, yeah. People project all sorts of stuff onto, onto other people. Yeah. I mean, you've, got, you've always got to ask yourself, is there a level of truth in this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what do I need to learn from it? But sometimes mm-hmm. it is just part of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I find curiosity a useful word. Yeah, I'm curious about why you would assume this was my fault. Is it my fault? I'm not sure. Curious about why you assume that. Yeah, the, the, this is a this is quite a specific one, but I remember once one of my friends was training in the parish, and a, her supervisor one day was completely lambasted at a Kirk session meeting. An elder just absolutely went for the minister, and it way beyond anything that anybody could understand. And the minister was talking to my friend who was a student at this time, and a, he was saying, I. I do not comprehend what was behind all that. And my friend who was a student had a moment of insight. She said, was his dad a minister? And he went, yeah, he was. How do you know that? He went, that's what that was about. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it was the pro- but it was about the projection of a, yeah. of a parent relationship re-engaged again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Leadership is a tough gig. Double challenge, yeah, yeah. Elaine, as you're saying. Do- double blessing, double challenge. Double blessing, double challenge, yeah, exactly. So these four men who are out at the gates because they, they are not, you know, they're not part of the community because of the leprosy, they uh, decide to go and they might as well just go to the enemy camp and when they get there, everybody's gone. Yeah, and and initially they're going, oh, this is fantastic, brilliant, all this stuff, and then they go, oh, we'd better tell people. I, know, I love that little tweak of conscience. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I suppose we're better. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not a new point from this podcast. And these just great stories. There, there's so many quirks and little bits and so, all these human touches. It's full of colour. It's true. It is. It is. Yeah. Just love them. They're there's a so lot of detail. Good. There is a lot of detail in them. Anything else we want to say into that? I feel we've, we've rushed slightly through the end section there, but I'm aware of time as we speak. Well... I wondered if your question at the start about are you open to the miraculous was that a uh, pointing forward to the gatekeeper captain chat? It was. In... It was pointing forward to the whole the whole piece actually, uh, all of what but... we've talked about. But to say more about the gatekeeper because he's the one who says no way that's going to happen. So Elijah says this time tomorrow. What is it? Um, uh, measure of choice meal shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for. Uh, shekel as well isn't it so the idea being that food prices are going to come right down Mm -hmm. tomorrow Mm -hmm. and the the captain the one on whose hand the king leaned says to the man of god even if the lord opened the the sky tomorrow that that's not going to happen and elisha says you shall see it but you shall not eat it pretty tough i know Um, but it gets trampled to death it's trampled to death but it's about being open to what god will do I hope you're not suggesting that I asked you the question in that sort of thought that you might be trampled to death if you didn't give the right answer. <laughs> I didn't. But is it, I love the fact in this chapter that, it, that that phrase, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, is at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. At the beginning of the story, end of the story. And actually God does open the floodgates yes. of heaven. Yes. It's asked in a... a a doubtful way, but actually God does open the floodgates of heaven. And I remember being in a a church, a member of a church years ago, where regularly that phrase was used in the prayer meeting, which I thought was terrific. Lord, open the floodgates of heaven Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, around a particular situation. And it's, it's such a lovely picture. Yes. Yes, it is actually. And and actually, I think, I mean, we're about to talk about takeaways, but I think my takeaway would be exactly what you've just said there. It's how, how much am I asking God to open the floodgates of heaven for? Yeah. For the for the small and for the large. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. A missing fountain pen. I'm going to pray that, that the floodgates of heaven 
my fountain pen returns like the the luminous ball but also I think about you know the global context and things that I'm praying into there how much faith have I got in, in uh-huh. uh, yeah and I think like mine would be that coupled with your question at the beginning Fiona about what is our expectation yes of, yes of praying in faith with that and looking for for what God will do. He might not answer my prayer in the way that I think he should, but he will be at work. And of that, there is no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Neil, we're talking about takeaways. Do you have a takeaway? A double blessing, double trouble. Double blessing, double trouble. <laughs> Very good. Let me just ask one one final question of you both, just reflecting on the six episodes that we've recorded on this, I wondered if if you have a takeaway, I suppose, from the whole series. Mine clearly is about the importance of engaging with the Elijah Elisha story, even when you don't feel like it, because <laughs> <laughs> there is wealth to be discovered within. Yeah, I think what I think one of the things that has really struck me is the compare and contrast Elijah and Elisha. And, and I think particularly in this episode, as we've focused in on, on Elisha, you know, Elijah was called to interact at a very kind of political, um, national kind of challenging level, you know, bringing the word of God very much into the public square and with a, with a challenge. And then Elisha begins with very pastoral ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, he is used to challenge some national things, but mm-hmm. actually the, the initial focus of his ministry is very pastoral. It's just mm-hmm. a reminder that people are called into very different situations. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's that's helpful. Neil, do you have any takeaways from the whole series? I think it's related to something we said right back with Elijah, and it's linked to the fact Elaine, that your dad worked in the nuclear industry, and it was just a little metaphor that we used, which was to say Elijah having the presence of God within him is like having a nuclear reactor (laughs) in him. And and then we talked about how, if that's the case with Elijah and Elisha, how much more that we have Christ in us. So it's that sense that these are a, a series of stories about what it is to have the power of God within you, which, to paraphrase Watchman Nee, is the ordinary Christian life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Good. Well, thank you both for being part of this mini season that we have enjoyed. Uh, now, we've got a bit of a flaw, Neil, with the Glover's Others competition, because I, I, well, I think we actually might have two flaws. One might be the prize. So I do wonder if maybe the prospect of a drive with Elaine Duncan is not an appealing one. I might be wrong with that. It could just be too scary. It could just be too scary. But the second one, and the, the main one that I'm going to, has to do with the timing of when the podcast goes out and when we record. So all of which is to say, really, is that we've not had any entries into the competition yet <laughs> to spot the sequence. Um, however, it's all to play for. And if you think you know why Neil has chosen the particular characters in the order that he has, then please do get in touch. That's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And if you don't want to go for a drive with Elaine, we will not force you to do it. <laughs> Now, though, it's time for character number six. Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Who's your B-roll character? It's Rahab. Rahab Rahab the prostitute who shelters the spies. And... In the, in the city of Jericho and hides them and seems to be operating to a bigger loyalty than even her tribe. And there is her, she then shelters the spies and as a condition of that, she says, keep my family and famously uh, lowers the crimson rag from her window so that, uh, that she is spared when, when Jericho is attacked. And there's something about her that, that is such a strong picture I think there's something about having an allegiance to God which transcends all other allegiances. I think there's a sense of trust that she believes that, yes, even she, an outsider and someone who, who works in the sex industry, it 
can is still used by God. And she's pointed to lots of times in the Bible. Um, James points to her as a picture of faith. Hebrews mentions her as a, a picture of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And of course, in Matthew, we discover not only is she the mother of Boaz in Ruth, but she's the great, 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 great times, about 35, probably grandmother of Jesus. And so this time, Glover's, other, Glover's Others is the wonderful, the magnificent Rahab. Very good. Thank you very much. And thank you both for joining us. Thank you to listeners for joining us. Look out for our special Easter episodes arriving in Holy Week. And don't forget, join us after Easter to begin journeying through the book of Acts. If you want to get ahead on that, then you might want to start reading. Uh, meanwhile, thank you for listening. Thank you to Elaine for joining us these last six episodes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Been a Elaine, delight. Thank you. It's and been yes, good to be with you. It's been good to have conversation. And thank you, Neil, as ever. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.